let's dig into the Lord's Word. Uh, find your Bible, digital, paper, whatever, and uh, make your way over to Nehemiah chapter 10. <clears throat> and as you're, and I do, I want you to keep this in front of you. Make that a practice. Anytime you're sitting under the preaching of the Word, the teaching of the Word, to, to have it in front of you, right? So you can see it and, and just be in it. So um, that's one of the great, wonderful things that came out of the Reformation, right? That we all have the Bible in front of us. Um, anyway, as you're doing so, have you ever noticed that we, we live in this this culture of commitment phobia, right? And it seems like every generation, this is true more and more, which is why every generation like, looks down and is like, y'all can't commit to anything. And then, you know, it's the same for them, but worse for you. Um, we see that though, right? Many young couples are, are so afraid to even commit to this idea of like we're, we're dating, right? Instead, they use this endlessly nebulous term of we're talking and... If that phrase makes no sense to you in your generation, talk to some of these college students and they will explain it in a way that still makes no sense to you. Um, Even like streaming subscriptions, right? They go one month at a time. That's about as far as anyone wants to commit. And uh, if you ever tried to get anyone to RSVP to anything, any event ever, right? It's like you can't decide what, you can't even commit to what you're doing at 6 p.m. on Friday until it is 6 p.m. on Friday and, and not a second earlier because something else might be going on that you'd rather do. Uh, that's the way these things go. In fact, some churches in this era that we are living in right now have stopped membership, uh, not because of any theological commitment to the idea, but, but simply because they've learned that people are happy to attend church whenever they feel like attending church, uh, you know, whenever they want to, but they don't want to be committed to one church. They don't want anyone expecting them to show up. They don't, they don't want anyone to, like really expecting anything like that. Just, I'll go when I want to sometimes. Uh, and, and, and for many of us, maybe many of us here, right, we, we come to God with the same commitment phobia, you know, as, as well. We are commitment phobes. We, we want grace. We want the blessings of the Lord. We want assurance of salvation. But we don't want to make any solid commitments to the Lord, to his way, to his word, or anything of that nature. Now, now, here's what we're going to see today, right? In Nehemiah 10, we are going to see something so incredibly countercultural going on. We are going to see God's people make a commitment to reorient their lives around God's way of living. And, it, and you'll see it and you're like, oh, that's pretty neat, right? But, but this is a massive thing that they are doing, right, in every area of their life. And, and my hope for you and I today, as we look at this, is that we're going to see this and we're going to see the, the beauty and the life-giving joy that comes from this making this commitment to the Lord's way of life, uh, to the Lord, in fact, right? The Lord who has proven himself to be committed to us as his covenant people, committed to our flourishing. And if, if you care then, right, so let me tell you this before we move on. If you care, the, the outline in your bulletin is very vague. Uh, I put a more detailed and updated one in that text thing that goes out, if you care. If not, just listen. Take your own notes, right? Uh, now, we're going to read, and, and we're going to read each section as we get to it so it's fresh in your mind and, and, and you'll be able to focus on just that portion at a time. And, and we're also going to skip the first 27 verses, which sounds weird, but it's because it's this list of names. Uh, and these names really submit all this, cement all this into the idea, right, that this is real history with real people and, and all of that. But for you and I, if we're looking at these names, they're not going to mean anything for us today. And, and it's pretty long. Uh, I actually read it to my kids yesterday, the whole bit of it, and, and one of them was like, Dad, you're not really going to read these, are you? Uh, and then one of the others was like, Dad, you are the worst reader of names ever. Um, 
so I'll, I'll spare you that. Uh, and for that reason, we're going to pick up in, in verse 28 and in verse 29. That's where we're going to start. And, and again, just a reminder, and I know I keep doing this reminder, but it's so you know what's going on when you pop back into this. Um, we have seen the people of God listen intently as the word of God has been read over them and, and explained to them. And, and we have seen them sorrowfully weep over the things they are, are learning and to rejoice. Uh, they also rejoice and celebrate at God's goodness, right? We, we see them go through the Feast of Booths. Uh, we see them return in sackcloth and ashes and, and confessing their sin afterwards, and that's where we left out. And so now here's where we're at. Uh, we see the fullness of repentance as they are turning from their sin, and they're turning to God and, and God's ways, and, and we're going to see this expressed in, in some covenantal language here. So let's, let's pick up, right, verse 28, Nehemiah 10. The rest of the people... The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. I'll stop right there. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are 2,500 years between the lives of these saints and our own lives today. And so much medical and scientific and technological process has been made since then and yet we are so similar to them so prone to wander away so in in need of being called back into your covenant love to recommit our lives to your sovereign authority your word both for your glory and for our own flourishing and joy teach us from your ancient word this morning holy spirit enlighten convict restore and empower us to love you with more than our words, with all of our hearts, our soul, our strength, and all our mind. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in, in the weeks leading up to this moment for, for the people in Nehemiah's time, they, they've realized, right, that, that so much of their distress, so much of their suffering, so much of what's going wrong in their life is, is because they have abandoned not just God's law, but they have abandoned God himself. They've tried to do it all in their own way. And yet God continues to be faithful and committed to his people throughout all of this. And, and, and here in the aftermath of this deep conviction, we, we are seeing them pledge, we are seeing them bind themselves to the Lord once again. It's this, this recommitment to God's faithful covenant that we are seeing happening here and so in verses 1 through 27, right, which we skipped over today, that, that's a list of 84 particular names who have signed this recommitment. They, they represent their families. They represent their tribes. It is representing thousands of, of God's people here who are committed to returning uh, to the Lord in obedience. And then in verse 29, look at verse 29. All, all God's people are here, and it says they're entering into a curse and an oath. We don't see the details of this here, but, but these solemn promises often include a, a statement, something along the lines of, you know, may, may God curse us in this way, punish us in this way, or, or that way if we do not keep the thing that we are promising to keep here. 
people do that all, all the time, right? They, they put these stipulations on, on whatever it might be. I mean, how many of you, are when, you, when you were a kid, actually promised to keep someone's friend or a friend's uh, secret of some sort, and, and you invoke those words from the old, the old poem, right? I, I cross my heart and hope to die. I, you know what it is? Stick a needle in my eye. Don't do that. Um, right, but that's that's kind of the, the same idea here. And if you've been in, in Ryan's Sunday school class on on uh, on the covenants, our covenant, right? You you've learned that there are covenant curses and there are covenant blessings, and, and he goes into that. And, and, and so then the other half of this oath, is, or the other half of what we're seeing here, is this oath, this this stating what they promise to actually do. Here's what the promise is specifically. Look at verse 29. You can see it. They commit to to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God. And to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. Which is just an incredibly redundant, simple way of, a, a way of saying, right? Uh, God, we commit to obey you. We haven't. That's the reality of where we're at. But we are now committing to obey you. And, and they're doing it, right? For the sake, and, and for the sake of gospel clarity, I, I need you to know two things at this point. Because we can go down a really weird, you know, alleyway. I don't know what to call it. Something right here if we don't. And, and the first one is this, right? And in no way is this a return to the covenant of works. This is not, if we're going to obey these rules in the hopes that you're going to love us and care for us. And, and, you know, that's not the idea here. The commitment that they are making is this heartfelt response to the grace that God has already shown to them. It, it's, it's not recorded in Nehemiah, but at this time... Um, uh, on the calendar, they would have actually participated in what's called the Day of Atonement. It's another one of those Jewish holidays or, or holy days. And, and then part of that was this ritual of the, of the scapegoat. We know that word. We use it in our culture all the time. We, we don't usually think of it as a good thing, right? But uh, Leviticus 16 explains it. And the idea there is that, that the, the priest would, would take the, the sins of the people and it was, he'd put his hands on, on, on the scapegoat and, and confess these sins. And the idea was symbolically, oh, these sins are going on to this goat. And then they'd send them off into the wilderness just to disappear out there as far as, as possible, symbolizing this idea of your, your sins have been put on this and sent away and, and they're gone. Right, and, and this is all pointing forward to Jesus, of course, but, but that's the way they actually did the ritual. Uh, and, and their commitment to, to obedience then, right, is in no way a works-based salvation. That's not what they're looking to accomplish here. Now, the other thing you need to know is that this is not legalism. Too many people in this current era of church history su suggest that any effort towards obedience, that's legalism and something we shouldn't do. Th this is not a made-up list of rules to obey that they're suddenly making up here. Um, their, their oath is to obey God's word, what they should have been doing all along. It's this recommitment to that. They, they are submitting not to cultural expectations of a certain generation, but, uh, but to the authority of, of God's holy scriptures. That's what's happening here. Now, now let's read again and, and see how they commit to obedience in, in three areas in particular. Uh, the family the Sabbath, and, and in regards to business, we'll pick up in verse 30 here. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year in the extraction of every debt. We'll stop right there. 
they are, are committing to not marry anyone outside of this, this people group, right? This is not about ethnic purity. It's been taught that way historically. That's not at all what it is. Um, th- this is a wholehearted commitment to the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? That's the Lord speaking. When, when a Gentile man or woman in the ancient world were, were wed, right, at their, their wedding, they, they typically did so in the presence of their idols. And by idols, I mean these, these carved images, right, of false gods that they would do this in front of. And, and then they would set up their homes. They'd also put these, these idols in there. And the idea was their, their two idols would, would now be part of their, their family this way. God's people, though, they did not do this. However... When they married outside of the faith, they, they opened themselves up to take part in, in idol worship, at least in, in half of that, right? In some cases, this even led to these detestable practices such as, as child sacrifice or, or what was called temple prostitution that was, was part of many of these, uh, these, these cult religions. And, and, and for God's glory and, and for the good of his people, God forbid them then from marrying spouses who were committed to these false gods that were part of this very other way of living. Um, now, remember where we are in this story. They've all come back to the word of God. It's a refreshing. They haven't had it sitting at their home where they kind of read it every once in a while, right? It's been this really new, refreshing time in God's word. Uh, they would have just heard it read to them in the weeks before, the days before. Uh, they've likely, because of the, we know the sections they're reading, been through Deuteronomy 7, 3, and 4, which commands them, do not you know, intermarry. Uh, outside of the faith, and, and they know how, how King, they would have heard the stories, right, of King Solomon's marriage to foreign women and the way it, it led to the division of the, of the kingdom of Israel, and, and how King Ahab marrying Jezebel, who was from Sidon, uh, actually led to the worship of, of Baal in the northern kingdom of God's people. That they have observed Israel in their own experience, right, overwhelmingly just ignore this command to absolutely disastrous results. And, and, and so they, uh, they see, even in this, right, they can see, okay, this is not just some dumb rule that we're being told to keep. We're, we're seeing the actual results of what happens to this as well. And, and they see God's goodness in this command and they recommit to obey it. Now, to be very clear, again, this is not forbidding mixed ethnicities. Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Boaz married Ruth, who was a, a Moabite woman, but who was also deeply committed in her love for the Lord. And this is quite relevant for us still today, isn't it, right? 2 Corinthians 6.14 instructs us, instructs us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? Which, which has application outside of marriage, but at the very least, it includes marriage, right? If, if you're a Christian, don't marry a man or a woman who does not share your faith in Christ. As Raymond Brown states, If Christians marry partners who do not share their personal commitment to Christ, the road ahead is likely to be fraught with tension, frustration, and unhappiness. I realized this this summer, it's been 27 years since the Lord called me to faith, since I've been following Christ, and I have seen over those years so many examples of brothers and sisters in Christ who think, you know what, I understand that, but this is the exception. Because this man, this woman, they're just kind or whatever they want to, uh, uh, you know, praise this individual for. Uh, I've seen so many think they're the exception only to run into two incredibly dreadful results from this. Either they continue to follow the Lord passionately themselves, causing this massive divide between them and their spouse. Or as they grow closer to their unbelieving spouse, their, their faith weakens tremendously. Or, or worse, they, they abandon the Lord altogether and it's heartbreaking. 
right? And you know there, there is the extremely rare situation that everyone likes to share when it happens, right? Where God brings an unbelieving spouse to faith. Praise the Lord for such amazing grace of our Lord when he does that. Praise the Lord for that. However, you must never blatantly disobey the Lord, expecting him to work these sort of miracles in response to our sin. Don't, don't do that. There's no promise that God will bring your unbelieving faith, spouse to, to faith. Now, now, the second specific commandment that we see here, you see it in verse 31, uh, it's in regards to the Sabbath day. You notice how much the Sabbath day has been coming in to Nehemiah over and over and over again. Um, anyway, the specifics of it are this. If the Gentiles bring stuff to sell on the Sabbath day, or, or one of the holy days, like, like Passover, uh, we promise we're not going to buy anything from them. No matter how good of a deal they're offering us, we're not going to buy any of it. Why, right? Because God has instructed them to honor the Sabbath day. To stop from working, to stop from selling, to stop from buying. The Sabbath day is a gift of the Lord, a gift of rest and renewal as his people gather for worship. A gift that God's people have been desperate for in every single generation of history. You see, just because these non-Jewish merchants open their shops, it doesn't mean they have to buy. Derek Thomas comments on this concept saying, In order to keep the specific terms of the covenant, a measure of sacrifice was needed. Profitable business dealings on the Sabbath would have to be laid aside for the principle of keeping this day different. Can you imagine how much money Chick-fil-A would make if they were open on the Lord's Day? Especially because if you're anything like me, you know that that's the day you crave it more than any other day of the week. Regardless, you don't even realize, you're just sitting there and I want, oh, it's Sunday. And you're mad at them for that, right? How dare they shut down on this day, right? Uh, that's the way it is. But, but don't miss here, right, how obedience to this command also has these evangelistic tones, right? These, these foreigners who had to watch the Jews, and they're probably frustrated at times, but they also see, you know, the God of these, these Jewish people, he's unlike our own God who works us endlessly. He gives them rest, and he provides for them anyway while they rest. The Lord's Day remains a good gift of God to you and I today. I, I confess that I am constantly, regularly wrestling with how to best honor the Lord with the priority of, right, of corporate worship and, and rest and inviting others into this good gift of God and, and spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, it, it's an ongoing thing to be wrestled with, and I encourage you to do the, the same. Later today, right, ask yourself, what, what commitments might I make to this day uh, uh, to set apart this day for worship and for rest and for Christian concerns? But what changes might you, you actually truly make to honor this day more than, than you currently do? Well, think about that. Pray about that. I, I think it'll look different for every single family, but it, it should be something that you are very in, intentional about. And I, I challenge you even, right, as we look at this passage, to, to write it down. Let it move beyond that idea of just, I don't know, maybe something, and write something down. Um, sign it even. Uh, and so then the rest of, of verse 31 is this commitment to obey God in business. Uh, first, they will let the land rest uh, from growing crops every seventh year. Not incredibly relative or something many of you are going to do, Bill. Probably not every seven day, the way things work today even. Uh, Exodus 23.10 actually explains why. It says that the poor of your people may eat. 
And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. There's a, a kindness to, to the poorest among them that is part of this. But because during that, that year of rest, a, a modest amount of plants will, will reseed, they'll grow. They're naturally going to come to a, a point of harvest. Uh, and there's a, a small crop for, for the poor among them to actually harvest. They, they also commit to give, uh, forgive any debts owed at that time. Uh, again, for the poor among them. Really for a, obedience to God's word. In a broader sense, these laws remind them that the land and the people and the stuff, all of it belongs to God and not themselves. I I bet most of us need to be reminded of that fairly often. Be reminded that our homes, right, our cars, our phones, our AirPods, our our families, our jobs, the the money and our bank accounts, even our time, it all belongs to God. And, And so he has every right to tell us how we should steward these gifts of his. Our final portion of this covenant renewal is an admiral series of promises. Promises to support the worship of God, the, the work of God, and, and the temple building itself. Uh, let's, let's read it. And as we do, though, before we do, right, as we read it, I want you to notice how often this phrase, the house of God, shows up, right? Um, Actually, I'll just, I'll just tell you, it shows up eight times. That way you're not spending your time counting instead of listening. Uh, eight times in eight verses this shows up. Um, nine times if you count the phrase, the house of our Lord, I count it. So nine times. Uh, let's, let's pick up verse 32 and, and read to the end of this chapter then. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third a part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the the regular grain offerings, the regular burnt offerings, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God. According to our father's houses at at times appointed year by year to, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of, our, of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priest who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priest to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring the Levites, to, to the Levites, the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we labor. And, and the priest, the, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, wine, and oil to the chamber where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. And here this last line, we will not neglect the house of our God. Well, there's an awful lot about giving in this section. Uh, and, and not so that the priests can drive around Jerusalem in some Mercedes chariot or something like that. It's, that's not the point here. It's, it's, it's so that the Lord's visible work on earth can be supported and be promoted. In verse 34, a group actually commits to bringing supplies that are needed for worship. 
wood. It seems real simple to us, not a big deal, but this wasn't purchased at Home Depot. It was produced by the hard work of chopping down a tree and splitting the wood and transporting the wood. And if you've ever done that even once in your life, you know how incredibly difficult it is with modern tools. In other words, though, they they are offering not only money, but they are offering effort. They are offering time in the service of the Lord. Now, I've already mentioned it recently, but uh, but the building committee, it's one that's fresh in my mind, was a huge blessing to me personally, but also to all of us as a covenant community, particularly in that area of, of a lease. Because, uh, you know, I went to seminary, graduated seminary. They had no classes on leases, not a one, nothing like that. And they wasn't like tucked into the Hebrew class or anything uh, about how these things work. But in God's providence, right, the way he works in other people's life, in John Fregon's life, uh, he knows these things, the things he's learned how to do from his own father and, and experience how these things work. Uh, and he freely gave of his time to, to know how, you know, to, to the Lord in this, in this service. The, the same is true in a much wider situation here, right, for those who play music, those who uh, make snacks, those who host small groups. Those who serve in the nursery and, and, and the children's worship training who set up and clean up and, and every other aspect that is needed for us to, to gather in a time of worship like this or a time of fellowship like we'll be having afterwards. You are giving your time and effort to the work of the Lord and I appreciate that but, but more than that, that's a wonderful thing that you do for the Lord. Uh, Brad Miller, he's a PCA pastor friend of mine in, in California. He's rooting for the Phillies for some reason. You should know that. Um, anyway, he, he preached on this text uh, a few years ago, and, and every once in a while I'll go kind of listen to one of my friend's sermons on something, just really to make sure I'm not a heretic uh, in my own study. But I was listening to a sermon this week, and, and here's what he, he said about y'all. I was kind of like, oh, that's us. He said, a friend of mine serves as the pastor of a PCA church in Manhattan, Kansas. His church has a rotation of families who make their communion bread fresh every week. That's one example of a great application of this text. Um, that you give your time, your effort towards these kind of things. This, uh, this passage then goes on from one form to another of just this generosity to the Lord and providing for what is needed in the worship of the Lord until it ends with that bold proclamation in verse 39, which I already pointed out to you, right? Look at it. We will not neglect the house of our Lord. For, for us, Christ has fulfilled these civil laws, these ceremonial laws. There, there's no brick and mortal temple for us in this, uh, on the planet today. Now, however, this, this generous provision for the ministers and the ministry of the church continues as a call on all the Lord's people throughout the New Testament. It's always a, a little weird talking about uh, giving to the church from my position because your giving directly uh, you know, is, is what actually supports the fact that I get a salary. And so it always feels like this weird self-serving thing. If you tell people to give, it's because you want to get rich. I don't want to drive a fancy chariot. Um, but I do want to be faithful to the Lord when he calls us to these kind of things. So let me be very clear. God says that to give financially of, of your time and, and also your efforts, right? He, he calls us to do that because this expresses our, our heart to the Lord. It's a form of worship. But because it, it sure helps, right, in, in the church to be able to focus on ministry when we're not stressed about money and how we're going to pay for the lights to stay on. Because it means we can afford a place to gather and worship the Lord every Sunday and, and an office to use in preparation for during the week. And so please continue to give generously to Manhattan Prez like you already do. Please continue to, to, to give generously to RUF and to our crew guys and, and right to, to Kathleen McAllister so she can get back to Ireland and, and be preaching, you know, proclaiming the gospel there. 
And, and so then, let's consider then finally, right, the wide-angle application of this chapter. It shows us what commitment to God looks like for followers of Christ. We submit ourselves under his word in obedience. We reorient our desires to God's desires, our, our natural way of living and to God's way of living. Our priorities become his priorities, or rather, his priorities become our priorities. Get that one right. It, it means supporting God's work with money and abilities and a time, which raises the question, right, are, are there recommitments that you need to make to God today? In, in all these areas, not just the last one we looked at, right, with the giving, all of these. Do you need to pledge yourself to, to biblical ethics in some specific area because you're not? To godly relationships, to, to generous stewardship of time and the wealth the Lord has blessed you with. To, uh, so many of us live in this, this in-between place, unfortunately. Are you not... Tired of living with one foot in the kingdom of God and the other foot solidly in the foot of the world or in the world? What what changes, what commitments might you need to be making right now? We we and I really want you to think about this because we live in this this era that just, just shrugs off application. We walk out of we you know, even when we hear a great idea, we, we tend to, to just walk away and never even consider what commitment to, to change in that area might look like. Marva Dawn um, says, In our television age, people are accustomed to learning good ideas, even from sermons, and then doing nothing about them. We will consider things endlessly. Let's think about that. But, but rarely do we actually commit to anything. So, so maybe today you need to remember the covenant of grace and simply rest in all that Jesus has done for you. Really just make a commitment to that because all you do is beat yourself up over and over. Maybe you need to commit to honoring the Lord's day and, and flesh out what that actually looks like. Maybe you need to commit to, to living obedient to God's word in an area of your life that, that you're hiding from God right now. Or at least you think you're hiding from God right now. Maybe you need to commit to, uh, to loving or respecting your spouse in the way that, that the word calls you to. Maybe you need to commit to not cheating in school, no matter what the results are going to be from that. Or to commit to generosity with whatever wealth or abilities or time the Lord has made you a steward over. Deep down, right, the question is this, right? What, what is it that you are holding on to? What are you so terrified to give over to the Lord? What, what are you, you know, in what areas of your life are, are you resistant to submit to God's word? Because it's going to cost you something. Because it's going to be uncomfortable. Raymond Brown says, Sometimes when we hear a challenging sermon, we want to be better Christians, but we fail to make a definite response to God's word through the preacher. We ought to take time to channel our desires into practical decisions, even putting them into writing. I, you will find something interesting. If you go and you think about there's something in your life that you know you've been holding back, something you're trying to hide, something you won't let go of, right? write down that commitment to obedience in that area and, and see if you don't feel the weight of that. You're going to sign your name to that. What it actually feels like to make a commitment. I encourage you to try that. Now there's one last thing that I, I need you to know. And that's this. Israel... All of these Israelites, they failed. 
God, or good comes from their commitments. It does, right? They make these commitments and good comes from these commitments. God is honored and glorified by their greater obedience to God's word. Their lives better reflect what God desires for his people. Um, There is far more flourishing for for God's people through this. But none of them from this point forward just keeps this commitment perfectly. Now every last one of them fails in that regard. See, that's why you don't just need a second chance. You, You need a savior. You, you need Jesus who does not fail to keep his commitment to God's holy word. You, you need Jesus who, who generously gives himself to redeem you from your sin. And so yes, make commitments to obey God's word. Make every effort to keep these commandments. Honor the Lord in that way, but also rest in the life-giving truth that, that we that we do all of this, not to earn God's love, not to earn salvation, not in, but, but rather in response to God's glorious grace to us in the gospel. You hold on to those two things. Look what God has done for us in the gospel. And so we want to follow his ways. Because we can trust him. We know that these are good for us. We know that we'll flourish It's hard, right? But that's what we want to seek after. But ultimately, right, we are always falling back on on the cross, on Christ. Let's do that. Let's pray. Abba Father, throughout the history of redemption, you have been so good to us, and yet we so often neglect you in your ways. We neglect your word. Instead, spending our, our time entertaining ourselves and putting so much effort and resources into our own concerns. Lord, give us such confidence in the gospel that we can confess and repent of places in our lives where we have failed to follow your commands. Holy Spirit, make our hearts delight in obedience to your word. Not not just bitterly doing it, but to delight in doing it. Show us that the difficult path of obedience leads to greater joy, not less. Lord Jesus, protect us from legalism, from self-righteousness by by giving us a marrow deep understanding of the gospel, moving our hearts beyond guilt to rest, to, to, a, to a long obedience as we follow after you day by day. It's in the name of Jesus, the Holy One, we pray. Amen.